Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host for Nonprofit on the Rocks and co-founder of Envision Consulting, which is a nonprofit boutique firm that is national, providing search and strategy to only nonprofits across the country. And with us, as always today, is Ashley Watterson, our producer. How are you, Ashley? I'm doing great, Matt, and I really like that introduction. I liked how you called Envision a boutique firm, which is how I always describe it. And I also love that you got right in there with our coast-to-coast -coast presence. I have a visual map in my head. Can you pinpoint some of the places where Envision has now done work and had clients? So I got to tell you, because as you know, it's nonprofit on the rocks. We enjoy our brown. I mean, as we know, you're already on your third uh, bottle of wine as we speak. Any mother out there can tell you, you cannot get through the month between Thanksgiving and Christmas without a significant amount of wine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring up the fact that this is a drinking show is we actually just got our very first client in Lexington, Kentucky. It is a director of development search. And why I like Lexington is because that is like my hometown for the brown liquor tour of Kentucky. Okay, so is this client going to require you to go on location and you might just have to take the bourbon trail? Or is a bourbon trail something that you can drive, like the Oregon Trail, like Route 66? When I picture trail, that's what I picture, but help me out here. I'm going to just say that uh, if you are partaking on the bourbon trail, you probably shouldn't be driving. So that's very exciting. So, so Envision is now in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Envision has been in Colorado. We're actually in the middle of a merger in Milwaukee. So when I say it, I mean it. We are truly national. I am beyond proud of this company. I am so proud of our team. We are now a team of 15 and we are in New York and LA. I shouldn't tell you this, Ashley, but we may not be able to afford payroll much longer. So like, is there a robot producer? Is that possible? <laughs> I am sure there is a robot producer that will far exceed my mediocrity, but Matt, will the robot have my witty charm? <laughs> what would a conversation with you and producer robot sound like? I don't enjoy drinking or humor, but at least I do an excellent job producing. Yeah, that would probably be it. And, and honestly, <laughs> like no one wants to listen to that. They want to hear you. We also need to talk about kind of big news. We had a big one-page ad come out in the Pasadena Outlook for both Envision and our show mm -hmm. that I think was pretty awesome. We finally got the green light from the Envision team to spend a little bit of money on this show. And I got to say, do we think it's going to pay off? I don't know, but I'm starting to wonder why I still have a bucket of quarters. In all seriousness, we're super thrilled that our company and our show could be listed in the amazing celebrating charity edition of the Pasadena Outlook, which is one that I look forward to every year because it really does just encapsulate all the great work that is being done in our city. It is. It is. And I am so proud of us. I'm so proud of the Envision team for being able to be part of this community, for being able to work with so many fantastic nonprofits. And if those of you are so inclined, I would tell you to go online, take a look at the clients that we've served on our website at envisionnonprofit.com. You can see some of those really spectacular nonprofits across the country. And because this is the end of the year and because I'm time stamping it and because our episode coming up is all about fundraising, what I ask you to do is take a minute, go online, find a nonprofit and make a donation. So our guest today is Julie LaCouture, whom I adore. She's amazing and hilarious and just so fantastic. She is the founder of Good Ways, which is her company that provides nonprofits consulting advice on how to raise money, how to raise awareness, and also how to use digital tools. And what I like about her website is at the end of the day, she's providing good old fashioned strategy in fundraising, which is so fantastic. She's amazing. As always, for more information on this episode and all of our previous episodes, you can find us at envisionnonprofit.com slash podcast. Enjoy this episode with Matt and Julie Lacadour. 
I, I have something to ask you before we get started. I was listening to your podcast and I have a question. Neither you nor Ashley knows how to set up a Zoom meeting. Is that true? So, first of all, since that's how we're starting this podcast, welcome to Lula Couture. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. And before we even talk about who you are, I want everybody to know, because they all heard that, that you just called me and Ashley out for not being able to do a Zoom podcast. I, I would like to say in my defense, I didn't call you out. I just asked a question based on a previous episode where, where you two said you didn't know how to do it. Look, I appreciate that you listened to one of our podcasts, to be honest. I've listened to a few. I appreciate, I'm going to ask you to name names, but, but thank you for calling us out. I will tell you in all honesty that I didn't set up this Zoom podcast and I need somebody to sign me in to begin with. So we're in a a stranger's virtual meeting room. (laughs) Embarrassing. God, it's embarrassing. So my friend, Julie LaCouture, thank you for joining us today. I'm So so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you are the owner, the founder, the I don't even know the president. I don't know what you want to call yourself with Good Ways Inc. What do you want to call yourself? You know, I always just say that I'm a consultant because being the president of, <laughs> even though that's what it says on the on like the tax forms, it, it it does not feel like a truism. So on my LinkedIn, it says consultant, which consultant. is that's true, actually true enough. Okay, so you are a consultant, but you do own the company Good Ways Inc., which is so I cool. And we'll get into that in a little bit, and. And you also have a competing podcast in the nonprofit space, which is always number one or number two when you look up nonprofit in the podcast Apple thingy. And it always drives me insane because I'm not up there and I don't know why we're not up there. So hopefully this will work. <laughs> I like that you consider it competitive and I consider it something I do when I have time. And I, I like that it drives you nuts. So thank you. Thank you for that plug. Yes, I do a podcast called How We Run with Trent Stamp, who's the CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And we try to figure out, I don't know, it's what I always like to know, you know, is how did you do that? Because you see a nonprofit do something cool. And then you think, how, how did that happen? Tell me all the things that had to work right to get that to go. Or how's it running behind the scenes? Well, I just want to rewind for one second because Ashley's going to be so fuming right now that you said at the beginning, you don't even like when you have time to do this podcast, you do it. And even then, by the way, we're putting a ton of time in it. And even then we're not even on the top six of the podcast searches. So that's twice. That's twice, Julie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, here, let me do this. Let's do a toast, right? Because I want to do a toast to you for creating something because I don't think people know how hard it is to make something and put it out there. So I'm going to say my toast is to the creators because it is far easier to criticize than create. And so good for you, Matt, for doing the former and not the latter. So cheers to your podcast. Cheers to you, my friend. Mm. Okay. So because this is actually a happy hour podcast, you have um, two drinks in your hand. I do. I have two drinks, but what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a Manhattan mm. because I know that you are a fan of, of brown liquor. So I was like, oh, I was going to have a gin and tonic. And then I was like, no, I'm seeing Matt. I have to, I'm going to make a Manhattan. I really appreciate you for doing that and for the toast. I'm going to say that if I have a blood test tomorrow, a really obnoxious blood test. And I'm, oh, it's going to go great. You should take a screenshot of you with those two drinks. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm not supposed to eat or drink for eight hours before. So I figured. Oh, it's 4.45 in the afternoon. I can have a little bit of both yeah. and, then, and then just have water and lettuce for the rest of the night, right? I can do that. Water and lettuce. Delicious. Celery. Celery. Water and celery. I'll do both because- Sure. Well, lettuce is just fattening. You don't want, you want celery. <laughs> All right. So on that lovely note, first, I'd love, I'd love for folks to know a little bit about you and kind of you and I both working in nonprofit and consulting for nonprofits and why we're so crazy to have consulting companies. So I love what you do. And I mean, I, I still don't know how you do it every day and not want to kill yourself or kill your clients. <laughs> but can you tell folks just a little bit about, about your company and what you do? Sure. So after working in the nonprofit sector for a good long time, I decided to go out on my own. And so the the thing that used to happen to me when I was on staff is we would get a lot of pro bono consulting, you know, and we would get a lot of people referred in from the board who would be from really big, fancy consulting firms. And 
they would give us a strategic document that was like 87 pages. And it was like, here are all the best practices. And we would get so frustrated and sad and feel bad about ourselves because we could not execute this plan. It was, there was just too few of us. We were too young. We couldn't do it. And it, we blamed it on ourselves. And, and what I, the realization I had was that we didn't need best practices. We needed to find our own good way. And I always had that just in my heart, you know, when I would go to jobs and it wasn't about unraveling a perfect way to do the job and a perfect way to be successful, but it was finding our own good way. And the organization I worked at most recently was donorschoose.org. And we did a tremendous amount of online fundraising. And so when I went out on my own, everyone was like, tell us how to raise money like donors choose, right? Like build us that. I was like, I did not build that website, but I can help guide you into like, what is your best online fundraising plays right now? You know, for some organizations, a little more social media for other organizations, a lot more email marketing. And for all organizations, it's a whole lot more communications. But the thing that we do is we try to find the best way for that organization to do it. I'm really not interested in how everyone else does it. I want to know how that organization can do it best. So that is the big picture of what we do. And it's a little bit of strategy, a whole lot of execution, and a heck of a lot of fundraising. And it's so important. Fundraising is not easy. And I think a lot of folks are scared of it. Board members don't love it, but we're always asking the board members to raise money. And in the age of COVID, I think certain nonprofits did really well and certain nonprofits did not so great. But, you know, I'm curious... What are you seeing? Because this, okay, I want you to know, Julie, I want you to know something. First of all, I only usually have nonprofit executives on this show. You are not a nonprofit executive. You are a consultant. Oh my gosh. So, so you should feel special. I'm flattered. You should be. And even though you've already, you know, talked shit about me twice. And so my first question for you in terms of COVID is, you know, how are things now? So what do you see in terms of like, in terms of the holiday season of 2021? How do you see fundraising turning out during COVID? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think year-end fundraising in 2021 has a couple of unique things about it. One is that some organizations are, are looking at how do we retain the donors that came to us during the pandemic for very good reasons and for very different reasons. You know, so there's a lot of organizations that are in healthcare, in you know, social safety net kind of things like food banks and organizations in social justice that because of the dumpster fire of 2020 had a whole bunch of people feeling very empathetic and wanting to do something. So they got all these new donors. So I think one thing for every organization that they have to face is who are our pandemic donors? Who are our social justice movement response donors? And how do we make sense of what we do all the time? How do we make that as exciting as what they donated to before, right? So that's one thing that's happening. I hear a lot of people that are prematurely scared of donor fatigue. And I have to say, I always parse those conversations. You must hear this, right? Like, oh, the donors are tired. And I always say, well, how do we know? Maybe we're tired and we're projecting it on our donors. That certainly can happen and it's certainly valid, but are they? What is donor fatigue? Why don't you explain to folks what that means? Uh, that music means it's time for a Matt Splains Across America segment. Julie, would you do the honors for us today and hit us with a Julieism? Okay, I think that's interesting because it's largely made up sometimes, but the true definition of donor fatigue is when a donor stops giving because they are tired of your messaging. And I think the thing that we tell ourselves sometimes on staff is that they got tired because we sent them too many things. But what we see in donors' behavior is the thing that actually makes people tired is that we've gone a long time without talking to them and then we send them a bunch of stuff. If you look at organizations that send a lot of messaging, it could be like two or three things a week sometimes. And But the, none of those donors would report that they are tired of it. They're fired up. The problem is when we go a long time with no communication and then hit a poor donor with like a year-end campaign after being like a little bit quiet for a bunch of months in a row. So. I mean, donor fatigue can come in many shapes and sizes, but that's usually how I hear it talked about on staff. 
Thanks for that awesome explanation, Julie Lacatour of Good Ways, Inc. And now back to your interview with Matt Kamen, host of Nonprofit on the Rocks. So I want to get, we'll get back to the holidays in one second, but there is actually, I have two follow-up questions that, you know, what you just talked about. So the first is, okay, if I'm a donor, a potential donor, I'm a prospect. So I'm somebody who could potentially give to say the food bank, right? Yep. What kind of ask, what kind of reach out, like, what do you think is the best tool to, first of all, just to get my attention before you ask me for money, what's the best thing that they can do to find me and get me and hook me? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that what you're describing is a, is a perfect scenario of like the idea that we would be able to identify you and know that we should ask you. And I think that that situation is actually fairly uncommon, right? So the first two steps are to make you aware of our organization and then get you engaged in our organization. And that can happen in a bunch of different ways, right? So if you are a major donor prospect, like let's say that you live on the top of a hill of our town and you have like a big, huge, fancy house. And we're like, that is the person that would change our organization for us, but they have no idea what we do. You know, that's when you want to try to figure out how can we introduce ourselves to that person? But if we're talking about individual donors who give at a, like a lower level, so we're not talking about a major donor prospect, that's when all your digital tools can be helpful for awareness and engagement. So which scenario do you want to be? Do you want to live on the top of a hill in a fancy house or do you want to be an individual? Just because it's fun, just for funsies. Let's say that I live in a big house on the top of a hill. I'd love that one day. Fantastic. So we're cultivating you as a major donor. I think there's some really interesting things, especially for local organizations, letters work really, really well because no one sends mail anymore. So I have my clients when they're doing prospecting say like, could we write five people a letter today? You know, can we just make that happen consistently throughout the year that we are identifying people and saying, Hey Matt, I saw that you are interested in helping our local community because I saw you do this we do this and we thought you might be interested in what we do. We would love to talk about how we can further what you are interested in and how we can work together. That's a lovely introduction rather than, hey, we know you give out money sometimes, would you give some to us, right? Right. Which is sometimes what those letters sound like, but that's a really good way to try to get a meeting, but you're really going for like trying to get the conversation going. The other thing is then you look at like, who else does that person know? Who else do they hang out with? Who can introduce us to that person? And it's, it's a multi-pronged approach. And I think at every aspect of it, and this is how I coach my clients is you have to be totally authentic. You know, don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to oversell or be too fancy in all the communication like your donor set the pace of how you should interact with them. So you've got to read that, you know, if you don't hear after repeated, you know, contacts, maybe chill out a little bit and let that person go. But that's where being organized is really, really helpful. So how often, and this, I can't believe this has become a how-to fundraising kind of podcast. Let's do it. Let's do a how-to real fast. Not too long. Uh, I don't want to give away your secrets. Oh, let's give them all away. So uh, what makes a good development professional? So this, I always get asked, right? Because we do recruiting and yeah, yeah. looking for a good fundraising professional. What makes a good development person? Yeah. Well, let me ask you that because I feel like you are so good at sussing out somebody's ability to be successful somewhere, but don't you think it changes organization to organization? Yeah, I love how you flipped the question on me. Yep, I, I'm tr- very tricky like that. You're very tricky like that. I think it's interesting. So I think that what made me a good fundraiser was that I was, I am authentic and was myself and presented as myself and just like got to know people and became friendly with them, made them really believe in me and the mission and then asked them for money. So for me, it wasn't as much the research and the writing and the emailing and whatever else it was me that's who made it that was what made me a good fundraising professional but I wasn't so good on the database I wasn't so good in the keeping track of things I wasn't so good in the writing and so I do think those are two very different talents whether or not you're the external person or the internal person because you need both so I guess ideally it would be somebody who can be fantastic and wonderful on stage 
and be really good at organization. I'm not. So that's what I would say. What do you think? Well, you did a really good job of breaking down all the different things you want in a development department, right? It's really hard to find all those things in one person. So for me, I think the thing that makes someone really good at fundraising is if they're resourceful, right? So if they can say, because this is what I see really good development people do. And when I and when I see people shine is when they're at an organization that like they can turn around, right? Like, so I'm thinking of those people that are like, I got here and it was at this level and I brought it up to this level. And I'm like, okay, I, I pay attention to what those people do. And what I see in them is like, they can identify exactly like you just did. I'm good at this part. I'm not good at this part. And then they will find someone to do that other part. And I do not always mean they're paying someone on staff. Like they'll find a board member who's a really good writer and excited to do it. And they will harness that energy but those people are just resourceful is just the bottom line is if you're not curious, if you're not resourceful, and if you can't turn those so-so opportunities or like a lame introduction of someone that's like, oh, I've heard of you, but I don't know why my friend wants me to talk to you. If you can turn that into something, that's a really good development person. Yeah. And I think that uh, connectivity piece that like really figuring out your resources and then getting them in. That's so, yeah. I'm thinking on your feet. I mean, it's hard to find. So you don't do recruiting. And I feel like you know what makes a good fundraising professional. So tell me, Julie, why don't, why don't you just take over my job? Why don't you just start recruiting <laughs> really good fundraisers? How about that? I'm happy to give it to you. Hey, listen, you know, I'm always happy to like forward stuff and find people and stuff like that. I think that what I'm really, really good at I love writing and I love like doing the product part of fundraising of like, what is the idea where we can get a lot of people in? I'm good at fundraising operations. I'm not very good at like churn through tons and tons of, you know, relationships. And I think in recruiting, you have to do that. I just wish you would do my job. I'm going to tell you something that's, that's between me and you, you know, I interview a lot of people and I don't remember people's faces or names anymore. That's bad, right? Like as a recruiter, I'm just going to say that's not great. So I have to take notes. And even then there are times when I'm looking at a resume and I look them up on LinkedIn and I look at my notes and I still don't remember who they are. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like, that's a, that, by the way, that makes a bad fundraising professional. I don't remember who you are from your face and your resume and my notes. Maybe you're not right for the job or, or, Maybe I'm just really bad as a recruiter. No, I don't think you're bad as a recruiter. I think there's only so much we can hold in our brains, right? Like I heard once that you can really manage about 150 relationships and then you really start to break down. And I think as a recruiter, you have to handle a lot more than that. So it's not anything you, I think this is like, you just reach the edge of like what, what your mind can do, but that's why you take notes. So problem solved. Let me say this though, but I have referred you to a couple of people I know and all of the people that I've referred you to have then come back to me and said, thank you so much for referring Matt to me. And I think that's so nice because that doesn't always happen. I appreciate that. I appreciate the shout out. And uh, again, Ashley gets so mad at me for not, not shouting us out. So there you go. Well, I'll do it. Do you want me to come on every episode and just do like a word from our sponsor? And it's just a yeah. nice thing about you guys. I kind of do. I need that. I need some sponsors and I need those sponsors to just keep talking us up. So to go back to you not taking over my job and I'm a little, we're going to be in- a You're a little peeved about it. Yeah, I can feel it. It's fine. I'm going to fight my side. So let's go back to the how-to. Yeah. The how-to yeah. raising one-on-one. In terms of an ask, what makes a good ask? Like what's going to get me to write you a check? Yeah, I, I think you can actually break this down really, really simply. A good ask has passion, it has impact, and it has urgency. You know, it's all of those three things. When I write fundraising emails for my clients, we go through that ask and we're like, is there emotion? Is there impact? And is there urgency? I mean, if we don't have three of those things, we're not making a really good appeal, right? So, I mean, urgency does not mean emergency. That's the qualification on that. It's not our doors are about to shut, but, but as a donor, tell me, tell me why I should give, tell me why I should feel good about giving. And tell me why I should give now. Like, why does it matter right now? And those three things, I think that's, that's the end. That's a good ask. I will say that the thing that I have taught many development people to ask is, can I count on your support? Mm. 
And that's just a really nice way to do it. And I, I love using that because it's, it's very personal and it's also not a very hard, you know, it's not pushy. That speaks to like the Jewish guilt. So we have, we have that Jewish guilt. Can I count on your support? So that's important for an ask. Talked a little bit about like what makes a good development person. So Mm -hmm. to go back to that holiday, COVID holiday, hopefully by the end of 2021, folks who aren't vaccinated will be. Let's I'm putting Mm -hmm. that out there. I hope they are. And let's hope that COVID is, you know, not exactly a thing anymore, or at least it's much better. What is the trend? What is it looking like at the end of the year for year-end donations? Yeah, I I really like looking at a couple of different pieces of research to answer those questions. And one of them is Penelope Burke's research. She does a donor survey um, every year and her company is called Cygnus Research. And she talks to major donors, right? So she's really talking to people that give like in the 5,000 and above level. And in her survey this year, most of those donors said they're going to be back again. You know, most of them said they're going to continue the the giving that they did, they gave more during this time of crisis, they're going to continue doing that. So that's a very good sign. So I think that all organizations should take this piece of advice, which is don't decide ahead of time that your donors are fatigued. Let them tell you that, right? So we don't want to decide for them. I think it's always good to make an ask. I think it's always good to talk to a donor and say, is now a good time for me to ask you? You can ask for permission to ask. But don't decide for them because I think that I'm hearing a lot of conversations that are like, oh, it might not be good. And, oh, we've been so relentless with our messaging. Well, this is exactly the time that nonprofits are for. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. If not now, when? And then in terms of individual donors, you know, so like donors that you're talking to as a group or you're emailing or you're using direct mail or phone solicitations. I think the trend that we're seeing there has kind of been going down over like the, it, it ticks down a little bit. So what that means for organizations is it's critical to always be putting new people on your list because your best donors are your recent donors and your most excited people are the people that just got there or the people that have been giving for a long time. But a lot of organizations, when we look at their lists, you know, they'll say, oh, this person's been on our list for three years and they've never given. And to that, I would say like, well, it's time to clean up this list. Like we don't need to keep you know, unless this person is helping us in another way or wants to be on our list, but if they're not clicking through and they're not opening, bless and relief, you know, like let them go. They haven't done you the favor of unsubscribing, but but go ahead and ask them if they still want to be on your list and, and clean it up. So I think the thing that we'll see is that for those individual donors at the end of this year, we need to maintain the momentum. We need to give them something really tangible to give to. We need to have that impact and that urgency. And I think the donors are still going to be there, you know? Do you think that events are ever going to come back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, events are critical to nonprofits for fundraising. I mean, like, it's just you can't fundraise without some kind of event, right? And so some organizations use them as awareness and some use them as solicitation. But, like, they're so key. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What was, like, your favorite fundraising event that you've been to oh that name like one event that you've been to that you bought a ticket to or two events that were like so amazing that you still remember them to this day yeah i would say you know just in la god bet zedek does a really good event have you ever been to theirs yeah they, they used to do a concert right yeah so they have really good shows where they get like really good performers. And I think I saw Ozo Motley at one of theirs, but they also do a very good job of weaving in the stories of the people that they help through that event. And what's interesting about it to me is that organization provides mostly like legal aid and it can be fairly, can be fairly jargony, you know, in terms of how they describe what they're doing, but they really do a good job of making you feel excited about legal aid, you know, because you're seeing transformations. So that's, that one is a very, very good one. My favorite fundraising event is in Boston that I don't think exists anymore. I think they stopped doing it, but it's the Spinozola Gala, which brought together a whole bunch of chefs from around Boston And they would each do like a little table and you would get to basically eat from a bunch of different restaurants. But it was the restaurant community giving back to organizations that 
helped food insecure people. Right. And so I, I like that because I like those collective impact things and I like a fun event. So that that's a very, very good one. Yeah, no, I agree. I was going to say like my favorite one that I've, that I've been to was for the LGBTQ center in LA and they did the same thing. They brought together tons of chefs. They had food and I got to like eat like all over the place. And then they made a very quick ask. It wasn't like I was sitting there, you know, listening to some terrible event. It was like, I ate, I drank, and then they asked me for money. It was perfect. You and your husband have done some amazing work over the last year during COVID and put on Mm -hmm. some really spectacular fundraisers. Can you tell folks a little bit about what you've done and how it came about? Oh my gosh. This is like a great story. I was forced to live the advice I give to everyone else, which is like when a moment presents itself, go for it. You know, even if stuff is not quite set up. So when the lockdown for of like the stay at home order started in, I would say like the last day I was at was like March 13th, right? 2020. So I came home and it's like, I'm immediately bored. <laughs> like, I was like, I need to do something. And my husband is a television writer. And for many, many years, he and his writing partner had a stage show that was a stage show in the style of old time radio. It was called the Thrilling Adventure Hour. It was done on stage at Largo and it was a successful podcast for many years. They stopped doing it a couple of years ago. They got too busy. All the actors got too busy and it just didn't exist. And I, so I said to Ben on like March 14th, I was like, you need to, now's the time let's bring thrilling adventure back. And he's like, how? And I was like, I don't know. We'll do it on zoom and we'll sell tickets to it. And then we'll do it for charity. Cause here's the conversation we were having with everyone. Everyone was like, so, I mean, it was so scary. Everything was day-to-day information was changing. And you're like, I don't know if I should be bored or terrified. People around us were getting sick. And we have a lot of friends that work in the restaurant business and they were like unsure if they were going to open or close. I mean, it was chaos and everybody wanted to do something. So all of the actors in the show were like, I wish we could do something. And I was like, well, we just have to figure out a way to make it possible. So on March, I think the first show was on March 23rd. It was like 10 days later, right? Like we did not wait. We put up a website that was like, buy a ticket to see the show. We had no idea how we were going to deliver the show. And we were like, fingers crossed. And I was just frantically Googling stuff. And so we just put up a little WordPress site and we told the audience, if you give us $5, we're going to donate it to the food bank. We're going to do a couple of food banks across the country and we will email you a link and like a password to the site. Cause we wanted the audience for them to feel like it was an exclusive thing that they're at. Cause we wanted them to buy a ticket. We raised $20,000 that day, just on $5 tickets. And we had to close ticket sales, but we did it. And we rehearsed with the cast. We did it on Zoom. There was exits and entrances and sound effects. And it was so much fun that immediately after the show, the cast was like, let's do it again. Who was, so two who, weeks, was, who was on the cast? Oh my gosh, that cast is huge. But it's, let's see, who's in it? Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster. Paul's a comedian. Paget is an actress on, she's probably best known for Criminal Minds. Mark Evan Jackson, who's on The Good Place. Mark Agliardi. I can't remember the name of the show. Josh Molina, Busy Phillips. Who else was in that show? There was guest stars. I think Bradley Whitford was a guest star in that one. Bob Odenkirk was a guest star. I mean, like it was, no one, everyone had time. So it was just a great, great opportunity. And so then two weeks later, we do, did another. And like soon we had donated about $60,000 to food banks. And so then we beefed up the website so it would sell tickets. And like when you bought a ticket, it would unlock. So we built like a little online theater. And we did, gosh, I think we did nearly 100 shows. And uh, we totaled up all the money donated a couple of weeks ago. And it was over a million dollars donated to a bunch of different organizations. So on March 14th, you were bored and you were like, we need to do something. I think I'll start an online theater. Uh, like, yeah, whatever. We'll just do something. And you raised over a million dollars. That's crazy, Julie. That's amazing. It was, it was really fun. I sweat through like a number of outfits. We were about five minutes ahead of the market. I think the lesson there though, was we moved really fast. It wasn't perfect, but we made it very easy for people to do something good. Right. 
you know? So, and then the more we did, the more people were like, can you help me do this show? And we, so we did a lot of reunion shows. We did a really special fun show with Ted Danson where we brought together the cast of three men and a baby, the wow. cast of cheers, the cast of the good place. And like just a bunch of people throughout his whole career. This was the most epic zoom meeting I've ever been a part of. We live streamed it. The audience was the happiest I've ever seen a group of people online. <laughs> it was so much fun, but it did a lot of good. It raised a lot of money. I don't know if people know that about you and your husband and that's huge. Okay. So first of all, I'm beyond impressed by you. I hope that you, I, I hope you know that. And people need to know just honestly how awesome you guys are that you did that. A million dollars is a big deal. You didn't have to do it. It's not like you're making money off of it. Like it's a No, big we were, we were like, well, I hope we break even, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but what's great about it too, is there's all these great companies that do these like massive events, you know, and they're so cool. And we were able to refer like business to them when it just felt like, oh, this is too big for what we wanted. But we were really good at those. Like, did you have an idea? Do you want it to be a show in a one week? <laughs> Great. We're there for you. <laughs> but I, you know what? I think that that shows too for nonprofits anyway, is like, you're right. Just like you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It does not have to be perfect. It has to be something that connects to people that they want to give, that they want to be a part of and somewhat entertaining, but doesn't have to be perfect. And that's okay. That's okay. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there was not one show where like someone's camera failed or internet went out. It's scary when it happens, but you know, you're there for the greater good and like people appreciate that. And I think the audience liked the high wire act of like, let's see what these goofballs are going to do. First of all, again, kudos to you guys. Like that's a huge deal. And also, I think it's a really great kind of teaching opportunity to nonprofits that are afraid to do things that, I mean, one of my organizations put on a rock concert. We produced a rock concert. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't yeah. understand what like the green room meant or like anything. We didn't know how to like practice. We didn't know any of it, but we figured it out. And yeah. it actually went off really well. So here's the thing, and I think people don't understand this, and this I would love for you to explain them how to do it. You do an event, you have 500 people there, you've made money at the event, cool. Now what? Because everybody's exhausted, right? You've put on this event, it's taking yeah. so much time. Okay, now what? What do you do now that you've done that event and you had these 500 people there? Oh, my favorite part of fundraising, Matt, is what you do. You do all the stewardship, right? And I think that that is a boring, scary word, stewardship, but it's the most important part of the whole process. And I think what you just said is so true and so important of like, you get to the end of these, it's not even just events, it's campaigns. You know, you get to the end of them and you're exhausted. And what we forget, but it's important to remember, is that just because it's the end of the road for us, the fundraisers, it's just the beginning of it for the donors. They just got excited and you're at your most tired, right? So it's hard to manage, you know, <laughs> but I always tell my clients, like the end of your campaign is 30 days after your last ask, because you've got to plan 30 days, uh, not 30 straight days, right? But like there's stuff that happens afterwards. So speaking about an event, I think the key thing to an event is get an email out there to people the next day with highlights from the event. Hey, that was so great. We were so glad to see you there. And a very soft, like, by the way, here's a donate button, right? Like you don't have to make a very hard ask unless it was a cultivation event, in which case go for it, but let them let them revel in that. Like they're the most excited right then, you know, thank them for coming handwritten. Thank you notes. Oh my gosh. I can't even say enough about how important those are. I mean, we've literally tested thank you notes versus no thank you notes and donors that get thank you notes or a call from the board are 40% more likely, more likely to come back as a donor. And they give 10% more the next time you ask, you know, there's there's numbers behind why that's important, but all of that stuff is still part of your campaign. So I always like buffer the campaign where it's like, it's not the end, but the way that that looks in online fundraising too, is I always look at people's thank you pages, you know, like after you make a donation, that thank you page, this is like, I'm on a tear about this, Matt. That looks like the last page of the internet. And it's like, you can't even click anywhere. That page can do so much work for you. Oh my goodness. Put some pictures, put a video, like 
link to all your great content you've been trying to get people to read. They're with you at that point. And, you know, like in the, the thank you email and all of that stuff, it matters so, so much. So yeah, after, after the event, after the donation, key moment. So I think that's really important. And here is the reason why everybody out there needs to go to find your website, Julie, and hire you, even though I don't know how much more you can take on, but I'm telling everybody to hire you. Hey, listen, I got no more events anymore, so I'm ready to mingle. All right. So I have been to countless fundraising events, galas, concerts, whatever they are, mainly galas. And I will tell you probably one time in the last 10 years, I got a follow-up email as a thank really? you. Here are pictures, here are videos. You were awesome. Stay connected, right? I didn't, not, that didn't happen. And yeah. I think what you just said is so important. So for everybody who's listening, if you took nothing away from this podcast, and this is the only thing you're going to take away, I think the most important thing is when you get to the end, and you get that donation, or you've done that event, and you got it, you got the check in your hand, that's not the end. That's literally the beginning. That's the beginning. Absolutely. That. Do not forget that. So when you get to that point, call Julie. Be like, hey, Julie, we need to hire you. <laughs> because- I, lo- I love that stuff. Any organization that tells me like, oh, we have a hard time thinking of stuff like to send to them. I'm like, just give me the list. I'll do it for you. I love that stuff. Yeah. I would much rather do that stuff than like, I love doing strategy stuff. I think that's great. But that implementation of like the thinking and the getting to know and the getting them to re-engage stuff, that's fun. Yeah, it is. I know. It is so important. And it's so important for people to hear yet again, that you're tired at the end and you are, and that's great. Yeah. But like you have volunteers for a reason. You have people who can help you for a reason. Also, you have you out there like you have to follow up. It's so important, not even just to ask me for money, just to thank me and to follow up and to keep me excited and involved, just like you said. Yeah. My best trick when I was, when, you know, I was on staff doing development is I would write my thank you notes before I went to the meetings and I would write my thank you notes before the events and I'd leave space, you know, if there's something that popped up, you know, but just the fact that I had the envelope, that it was addressed, it had a stamp on it. It's good practice. My last step is not the meeting. My last step is not the event. My last step is not the donation. Tell me about a fundraising example that just nobody should ever do. Like there's something that like somebody said, we're going to do this. This is going to be some kind of great idea to fundraise. Mm. And like, please don't ever do that again. Yeah. So I was uh, working with an organization and they had a very, very smart marketing person on their board who had done a PowerPoint. And there was some assumptions in the PowerPoint of like, if we can just reach 1% of the population in this city, we will raise this much. And I was like, hmm. And, And that kind of thinking does really well in business where you can pay to, you know, get an advertisement out. You know, you can, you can manipulate the reach because you have an ad budget, but nonprofits don't usually have an ad budget. Or if they do, we're going to spend it like on online ads or like just a little bit differently. But they were talking about new donor acquisition from like doing this. And everyone got very excited about it because there was numbers in this PowerPoint. And the campaign that came out of it, and it wasn't advising them on this. I just had to kind of watch it happen was a multi-pronged thing where it was like, we need you to submit a video of a teacher that made a difference in your life. And then once you submit the video, we're going to ask you for money. And I was like, technically this follows some best practices, right? Of like awareness and engagement and then ask. But I was like, this seems complex. It did not do super well. (laughs) So So nothing too complex. Not the most spectacular fail, but I do think it's a good story because it reminds you that it's just the wrong approach. It works for business, but, but not, did not quite work for this nonprofit. And it was so many steps to do it. I was like, why don't you just ask them to give? Cause they think it's good, you know, at that point. Yeah. And an easy ask, a straightforward mm-hmm. ask, you know, that really connects to your donor. That's the way to go about it. Don't make it so complicated. Just don't make it so complicated. Well, there's a, there's a philosophy in digital marketing too, that applies directly to nonprofits, which is that if you can get someone to make a small conversion, your bigger conversion is down the road. So a small donation first, but you've got to wow them. Right. And so I think sometimes in nonprofit, we're hesitant to break even on the first donation or maybe lose money on the first donation. But I think that if you can, if you could set up something where that first donation is a small, easy donation to something very specific, and then they get 
something where they feel so good about what they did, expensive to do, but I think you'd have them for a long time. So, so tell me, you're a consultant, you were in-house before, you had your own, you had other companies before, but now you're a consultant to only nonprofits. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I really want to get into consulting, I want to be my own boss, which is a lie because you're never your own boss ever at any job you ever Oh no, had. I have 15 bosses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I want to be my own boss. I want to have a consulting company. I really like the idea of consulting. You seem happy. What do you tell me? Should I get into consulting? Yes. The more the merrier. I feel like the thing that I've been able to do with my consulting is I get to work with so many different organizations. I don't just work with one. I work with 50, you know, like it's wonderful. I love what they do so much. And I feel like I only know how to do like a couple of things. And if I can do those couple of things and then help another organization with it, great, great. I don't have to learn anything else. So my advice though, if someone wanted to get in consulting is be very specific about what you do and about what value you deliver to the organization. Because I see too many nonprofits getting, I mean, we get this from the board where you get a lot of advice, right? Boards love to brainstorm. They love to bring us ideas. We don't need our consultants to do that too. So I would say like be relentless about what you can drive for impact for those organizations. I like that. And would you ever go back in house? You know, I think about it a bunch because there's a couple of things I love. And one is like having a team that I've known. Like if you look at my wedding pictures, it's all people from the nonprofit I worked with at the time. I was like, guys, we're all best friends. <laughs> like, I love that. I love office atmosphere. So yeah, I miss that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think about it sometimes. Yeah, I put you up for a job every day if I could. <laughs> every day if I could, I'd put you up for a job. I think that there are people who are true consultants like you, like me, who really enjoy kind of like getting hired for something, doing it and moving on. And there's something nice about that as a consultant. When you're in-house, it doesn't work that way. And no, because there's a lot of politics in house, right. right? I think that the thing that I see with my clients too, that's such a struggle. And I wish as a nonprofit sector, we could stop doing this to our development team is how much time we're asking of them to like justify their existence, you know, the reporting to the board. And I think accountability is super important, but we have to be really careful with development people's time and how much stuff we're asking them to do, you know, Development departments are often like proofreading flyers and program stuff that goes out because they're really good writers. And it's like, you, you've got to be very protective of those resources because they'll perform better. Yeah. I think, again, something that's so important that people have to understand is just because you hire a director of development does not mean all of a sudden you're going to bring in millions of dollars. Oh not- my gosh. Yes. The hardest. You cannot expect that person to do it. Like there's a board for a reason. There's connections for that. That person can help. For sure. You think about the title, right? It's the director of development. They should be directing development, which means there should be people that are also doing it. They're just pulling it all together and giving it a strategy. Yes, they go out and do a lot of it, but it's not only them. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Thank you. That's so important for boards to hear and executive directors to hear that just because you hire a director of development, It's not over. It's not like you can sit back and not do anything. I want to make you like fundraiser recruitment bingo cards. And like one of the squares is definitely going to be somebody saying, I want someone to come with their own Rolodex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just, just literally just closed a search (laughs) just today, closed a search where the outgoing person, the outgoing CEO said, this person needs to come from the area because they have to bring their own Rolodex. And I was like, that's that's just not the way this works. Also, P.S., what is a Rolodex? Right. And by the way, exactly what is a Rolodex anymore? Well, somebody who can't turn Zoom on is somebody who's so proud. And <laughs> you're like, oh, excuse me, let me get my index cards. Yeah, let me get my index cards and my checkbook. I always push back. Like, just because you are coming to a nonprofit doesn't mean the donors you had are coming with you. Well, people so, ask me that too all the time. They're like, I know you know these funders. And I'm like, yeah, I know them really well. But also, do you think that they will take pitches from me? No, because they know I'm a consultant. So they're like, yes, you know the process. You know, we need to get an LOI from the executive director. I'm like, correct. Yeah, exactly. It's not a broker system. All right, Julie, we didn't do one thing, which is Mm -hmm. my fault. We didn't talk about social media. And I think people are really, really curious about how to use social media to fundraise. And I still think that fundraising major donors is, is, you know, in-person, one-on-one kind of thing, but online 
How do you raise money from Facebook? Okay. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. There is a phenomenon that happens where I always think of an iceberg because you're comparing what you see from another organization. So you see them on Facebook going viral, right? But you have no idea what's under the surface of the water that got them there. And I will tell you this, there are very few organizations that are raising money, like big money exclusively on Facebook. What you're usually seeing is a peer-to-peer campaign where all the people who are excited about the nonprofit are posting on Facebook. That's your best use of social media by far for most organizations is to enable the people that love you to use their own social media. It's very hard to have a strategy where you're raising money on social media or you're you know, going viral on purpose. So that's the question I think that I'm sick of answering, right? Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, don't, don't ask me, don't ask me that. Like you need a complete strategy and it involves content and it involves email and it involves a little bit of social, but, but don't, don't think that you're going to be able to use that hammer for every nail. It's a really hard thing to master. I think that's the same thing, by the way, with GoFundMe. People think, oh, if I just if I just set up a GoFundMe, oh, GoFundMe. of course I'm going to raise a million dollars. That's not the way it works. That's just not the way yeah. it works. Well, no, it's, it's the same thing with having a donation page. It's not like it, it would, would have worked for your donation page if that was the case. It's not an if you build it, they will come situation. You know, you have to work really, really hard to get people to come to your donation page. And then even the people that come to your donation page is not even... Gosh, it's not it's not even a good percentage that make it through. You know, you people are really surprised at how much work it takes. When I was at Donors Choose, we used to do an event every year called the Blogger Challenge, where bloggers would compete against each other to raise the most money for public school teachers. And when I would tell people about the work we would do behind the scenes to make that event, I mean, it raised millions of dollars. What they didn't realize was like how much time I spent on the phone how much time I spent talking to bloggers and setting up their pages for them and making it happen and how much work behind the scenes made that event go Um, and how much technology required from our IT team and how much power it required from the marketing team. But there's a tremendous amount of offline work to make online things successful. Every podcast, we write out, you know, what's so important that people should kind of get from this podcast. And what I think what you just said is so vital is that you can have a Facebook page, you can have an Instagram page, you can have a GoFundMe page. It is no different than having that donate button on your website. You still got to get people there, still got to get connected. They still got to want to give you money. So just because you think, hey, let's set up all these socials, it's not going to get you anything different than a donate page. You know what it reminds me of? And I've started to talk to my clients like this of, you know, if someone comes to you and says, I need to find a new job, Is your advice ever like, please spend 20 hours polishing your resume? No, that's never the advice, right? The advice is always like, go have coffee with 10 people that'll have coffee with you and tell them you're looking for a new job. Go look on LinkedIn for anyone that does the job that you want. It's all active, active, active. And the same is true for fundraising. You know, it's like, don't worry about making everything perfect and online and all that stuff, but go shake the trees, like get the stuff, you know, coming your way. Yeah. That's so important. It still is no matter what fundraising, finding work, whatever it is, it's those personal connections. It's getting out there. It's actually doing something and not sitting on the couch in front of your computer. So, so important. So last question, why is nonprofit so important to you? That's a good question. So I started my career in advertising and PR. So I, I worked for Oscar Mayer. I drove the Wienermobile across the country. <laughs> you know, a regular, typical job that someone does right after college. But that, that was a PR job. Like we did events. We did, you know, we pitched the press. We did all this stuff. And then I was a copywriter in an advertising agency. And I worked so hard. I love working. I love having a job. I've been working since I was 13. Like... <laughs> I really love working. And what was sad to me when I was working in advertising was I felt like the stuff that I was doing just didn't matter to me as a person. So I love working with nonprofits so, so much because I feel like, why wouldn't you work so hard? Because if you sell this thing or if you 
are successful with this project, just think like you change lives. It's so exciting to me. And I don't, I, I get so excited about every single number of them that I work with, you know, and then like, it's, it's, I feel like I'm their cheerleader. I'm like on the side, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And they're like, wow, she's really hype about our organization. And I was like, because I love what you do, you know, and that's, that's the bottom line for me. I really am impressed with these people. I'm impressed with these programs. I'm impressed with the spirit of someone that really wants to change the world. It's exciting to me. I think what I got out of all of that was that we need a picture of you driving that wiener mobile. Oh, I got it. We need a picture. That's going to be when, when this goes up on the website, that picture. Oh yeah, back. you got it. You good. just got to pick what state you want me in. Like Ohio. Come on. What do you want? Like Michigan, Wyoming. I got them. So Julie, please tell everybody where they can find you and hire you because everybody needs your help right now. Oh, absolutely. I will, you know, I'll give out my email. It's julie at goodwaysinc.com. You can find my website at goodwaysinc.com and I'm on social media under those handles as well. Intermittently email me if you need something. And you also have like the number one podcast in nonprofit podcast, by the way, just so everybody knows, I think I did a podcast with you and I don't think it's aired yet. Just no, I haven't done it yet because I wanted to do it concurrently with this one. And I have to, I have a co-host, so I have to get the intro done. It's a whole scheduling thing, but yes, you'll Uh be on. Uh Uh Uh-huh. It's been like a year, just FYI. It's been like well, we'll get it out. I don't think anybody believes you. I think uh, you know, it wasn't great. Let's be honest. It just wasn't great. Thank you very much for being on this show. I hope it was everything you expected and more. Oh, it was so much more. It was was two Manhattan four. That's what it was. Yes. All right, my friend. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what'd you think of my friend, Julie? I mean, I'd give you my honest opinion, but I don't want to give her any more credence to take us down with her own podcast. Mm. So I'm just going to say she was mediocre. Mm. That's fair. There's actually an app that I go on to on a too often regular basis called Chartable. <laughs> and it has listed all of the podcasts in the country and then all of the specific categories. So I, of course, look in nonprofit because that's what we do. And we were like 39, actually in the country. Yeah. And as of today, I think we're 164. So <laughs> I don't, I don't love that drop. I don't love that. Thank you, by the way, Julie Lacatour. You are the one who told Matt about this. And now you have created this obsession. It's a real problem. And I have a feeling that if we did have that robot producer, we may actually be in the top 10 on a regular basis. <laughs> hmm. Well, I think that's true. But you need to start looking at the pro and con list because Nonprofit on the Rocks could crack the top 10. But as we've seen, Robot has little filter and mm. gives you a very honest opinion of how, what, what's that robot? When was Matt's last Botox? I don't know, robot. Just quiet. So, you know, these are the, these are the trade-offs. It's true. Do I want to be in the top 10 or do I want to like need to go just inject <laughs> my face with poison? I don't know. I don't know which, I, I honestly don't know what I'd rather have. I don't know. It is a hard choice and only you can answer it. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to beat Julie LaCouture once and for all, next podcast, the final episode of the 2021 year and halfway through season three, which I am again, so proud of us for making it this far, is with Ria Wong. And she is the producer of Nonprofit Lowdown. And that is also top 10 podcasts in the country. So I'm proud of us for our next episode because it is a joint podcast. I don't know if it's ever been done before. She interviewed me. I interviewed her. She's my guest. I'm her guest. And I think it's going to be awesome. And again, I'm not trying to tell any of our audience members to listen to another podcast, but you didn't edit hers. You edited ours. So if those folks out there want to see the difference and then can DM me and say, hey, Ashley is actually good at her job or "Mm, (laughs) Ashley's really not that great at her job. I need to know. This is true. It's almost like this is a battle of the producers. And we'll see whose episode is more well-received. I'm very curious now. And Matt, I'm also just so glad that it's only taken you two and a half seasons of me asking you to do this 
to get a cross promotion where you are on someone else's show. So thank you for finally making that happen. I really do hope that this helps you sleep better as we rise on Chartable and overtake Rhea herself. That would be the goal. Okay, so here's here's gonna be my final plea for a DM this year. What was your favorite show in the 80s where there was a crossover? If any of you listening are still listening and can think about your favorite crossover, DM me and let me know. I love this. And I will make some Instagram posts about this too, because we need to know your favorite crossovers. That's it. We're asking folks to DM us. And before we leave everybody to be able to actually enjoy the rest of their day, do you have anything that you'd like to share with our audience, Ashley? Actually, Matt, I'm glad you asked because I would like to leave our listeners at this end of the season, heading into the holidays with a poem. Season's greetings, podcast listeners. Well, those that are still here. And thank you for joining us on our maiden voyage this year. We've laughed and we've cried and we've tugged at your heart. We've interviewed civic leaders and curators of art. We've championed the homeless and those most in need. We've learned how to survive, how to thrive, how to lead. Our guests have been many. We've had 23. As to our favorite, we'll never tell. I mean, we could never agree. So please raise your glass filled with whatever you choose, wine, water, soda, or Matt's favorite, booze. Let's toast to the new year and new guests in the room, to more time with friends and less time on Zoom. Let's cheers to nonprofits and their leaders with big hearts. But most of all, here's to Nonprofit on the Rocks, taking over the charts. Happy holidays, everyone. See you in 2022.